Hi guys, welcome to the Bishop podcast where we talk about startups, small businesses, entrepreneurship and remote work. Before we get started with the episode, let me quickly tell you about Bishop. Bishop provides a remote workforce that can help you with your business whether you are an entrepreneur, influencer, startup or an established organization. Bishop provides only the top 1% remote workforce such as virtual assistants, software testers and bookkeeping assistants who are all pre-vetted and trained in-house. To know more about our service, you can click the link in the description below. Now let's enjoy the episode. So hi guys, welcome to yet another episode of the Bishop podcast. Today we have a great show lined up for you guys with not one but two guests on the show. We have our very own co-founder of Bishop, Mr. Nilesh Rangwani, and sales process and revenue management thought leader, speaker and the host of the Revenue Maze podcast, Valerie Cobb. So welcome to the show guys. It's great to have you here with us. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot, Prasbino. Thank you Nilesh, thanks Valerie. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So Valerie, why don't you start off by telling our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? <laughs> Wow, the mic so quickly. Um, so right now I'm a fractional chief revenue officer or chief sales officer. Um, I launched a company with a business partner out of Scotland and that is the revenue maze. And that is where we place kind of what Wishup is doing. We place, um, very experienced type fortune 500 CRO. Um, fractional CROs running around the globe. And um, we found a huge niche and need in the market for those small businesses, which we can talk about later. Uh, and so, yeah, I was homegrown in Southern California outside of the uh, outside of Los Angeles. And I a little bit about me, I would say my greatest strength is my children. I love them. Um, just had the youngest get married and super excited. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nilesh, why don't you go next? Tell us something about yourself for people who don't already know you. Um, so I'm Nilesh Rangwani, born and brought up in India. Uh, I'm the co-founder of wishup.co. Uh, we provide pre-vetted, high-quality talented virtual assistants to our clients in the US and you know we have one client amongst us right now <laughs> Valerie has been um, you know working with two of our virtual assistants in fact three now um, so yeah uh, this is what we do um, and we provide our virtual assistants to small businesses uh, entrepreneurs solopreneurs in the US especially in San Francisco and New York area Awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> Being a part of Bishop, I know that's a really good profile and like the job that we do, the clients that we have, including Valerie are amazing. So it's nice to have you all both on the show with us. So Valerie, I was going through your profile and I've seen that you worked as a director of sales and marketing in taxing and accounting, VP of business development in healthcare, chief sales officer, and the list goes on. So you have such a diverse portfolio and you managed to gain expertise in all these different industries. So how, how has that all come together? <laughs> well, most just say I have attention deficit disorder and I seem to just want to bounce around. But, uh, you know, the adage is sales are sales 
and um, human behavior is human behavior. It doesn't matter what the widget is, even though we like to think it does. Um, the, the reality is they all have some common themes. And in fact, when I've been standing up some of the revenue agents in Nor and Revenue North Star, as we've kind of had them do empathy maps, they're like, well, it seems like there's recurring themes, right? So um, there's a, a little bit of a, I would say, uh, this thought that there's certain industries that you have to have been in for a very, very long time. And mm -hmm. somehow a rep that's been in that industry, if they go to that same industry at another company, that list will follow them. And what most underappreciate is that really only about 10% will ever follow a rep somewhere, even though we're heroes in our own minds, we all think we're wonderful, you know, and our people will follow us. That's not really the case. There are a few industries um, that seem to still kind of it's easier for them to step in sometimes healthcare it's easier because you just know the players and stuff like that but um when i went from tax and accounting software and i grew that company 600 percent, then we went into um to some healthcare um middleware platforms i call middleware because they really were just kind of back in the time um the middle point between customers and the actual execution piece. And um, when I looked at that, we, you know, in a very short time, we were winning awards and all sorts of things. And that was in healthcare. And you would think that that would take years because they won't even hire in the United States in healthcare, like a sales rep who hasn't had five years of experience in healthcare, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it's like, so they kind of, they kind of sometimes different organizations will think that way. So other organizations will think, well, they want a breath of fresh air because we get too myopic. And so as we go in and fix their revenue streams and help them grow, whether it's a resurrection or if it's a, a really well-funded startup as well, right? You can turn, you can get them off the <clears throat> ground pretty quickly. Um, starting with a lot of the processes, I guess I would say, because a lot of things can be fixed through process. Yes, talent has to be there too, and the product has to be there too. I'm not focusing only on sales team. When you're a chief revenue officer, you're focused on anything that touches revenue, mm -hmm. right? So you're not just looking at sales teams, you're looking at marketing, service, um, you're looking at new product development. So has the product gone stale? Um, or is it really, a, is there a good product market fit? Uh, or are you selling to the wrong market? Some of those things. So you really don't just touch on a sales team, although a lot associate it with a sales team. Um, so yeah. that's kind of, uh, a high level overview as to why I have ADD from everything from fashion to tax and accounting, health care, uh, construction, real estate, you name it. I've just kind of gone in and, and worked on those companies and got them back on the map. Yeah. yeah. Or startup, two startups. <laughs> That's awesome. 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 Uh, so Valerie, you spoke about you helped the company grow their sales by 600%. Which industry was that in? 
That one was in tax and accounting software. And I really found it interesting because Wishup, um, you know, I was interviewing one of Wishup's um, talent pool mm -hmm. yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about kind of what Wishup is doing and what they're doing is they're bringing in a broad base of collective backgrounds that could solve problems really quickly that a lot of these small businesses in the united states 99 percent of the businesses are small businesses right yes. um and a lot of those small businesses don't have the bandwidth to hire every function and role until they have scaled or even a startup until they have scaled. So what Wishup um, sort of is doing is kind of like SaaS programs, you know, it's humans as a service, right? And, and it helps, it, it really helps. And exactly. so what we, what we did with the tax and accounting software, it was a resurrection. Um, but back in that day, SaaS wasn't really even a thing. You know, it was one of those really, it, it, it became that pricing model. It's kind of like when we say account-based marketing, you know, all the marketers going, wow, we did. Well, you know, Challenger, if you've ever studied Challenger methodology, uh, Matt Dixon, those guys, um, in the recession of 2008, they were studying sales teams that were excelling and really all they were excelling at was account-based marketing, but they were account-based selling. You know, I mean, it was kind of, they knew how to put all, yeah. you know, and, and they would follow up and follow up and follow up. So we have a lot of terminology that kind of came, came out of that. So I guess when I think about that, we, we basically messed around with the price um how it could be um given to the the target audience in a way that was digestible that they didn't feel like they were getting these upfront fees you know back in the day ta i mean not just tax but computers you know before internet hit and yes i am that old right and as you look at that before internet would hit you know, you had an A drive, you had a B drive, you had uh, hardware installers that would run around and set your computer up and install programs. And that was pre windows, you know? And, um, and so when, when I got with that company and it, and grew that 600%, it really was just a very well-placed lead gen trick. And then also, getting into the industry enough that you caught wind of a takeover and you mm -hmm. leveraged that takeover. I wish I was that brilliant to say, wow, we just, you know, started selling better and we just started doing all, you know, you use what you, you use what you use, right? <laughs> to get a company back on the map that hadn't been on the map for a little while. So, yeah. yeah I have a lot of questions popping up right now, especially, <laughs> uh, you know, when you said that sales was not just about sales, it's, sales and marketing and pricing and you know if the product is going stale so i have a lot of questions popping up on that front but before jumping into that i would probably ask you a, a probably a older question which is let's say you know when did you know that that sales is for you um and and when did you know that you should probably get into the business of 
you know giving sales as a service or fractional sales or let's say sales coaching right so when did you know my favorite part has always been about helping people if you're if you're asking that question um you know when you have children you're a salesman the first time you drag them kicking and screaming out of the street and them saying no this is what i want to do and you protecting them and if you're a good human and you're selling you are always able to want to help people so i think that there's a, there's a few things there's a book by katherine brown that is um and it's very easy <laughs> um and she's one of my friends and um it's entitled um how good humans sell mm -hmm. and then the other is by daniel pink which is um to sell is human which is yeah. kind of the flip flop of the two so it goes into everybody are sales people mm. you know and to go back to your original question um i was in college i wanted to be this big bad retail buyer in fashion that's what i that's what i was out to do it was so exciting to me you had to have all the economics and retailing courses and all of those things and i um and so i went to work for nordstrom in the united states nordstrom was um the model to follow for retail period mm -hmm. but um they they still did commission based department store selling which is long time ago that's what you you know way back hundreds of years you know that's what you did if you sold you got a piece of the the pie um and but everybody had to start whether it was the general manager of that store or whether it was a buyer you all had to start as salespeople mm -hmm. because they wanted you to understand the customer okay and so my goal wasn't to be a salesman but i was top sales i was always top sales but it wasn't because of looking at sales from a lens of i want to be top sales and i'm doing every step of the equation properly it was more based out of being genuine and really telling somebody when something didn't look good on them mm -hmm. um when they didn't you know really helping them out and um I had, I was laughing because after I had my first daughter, I had some of those people that I sold to come in and bring in hand knitted blankets and for my daughter, you know, and they were just inbound coming into a store, buying from you, but you got into their lives. You know, what, what purpose is this? The guy walks in and he, he's, he's completely just was working on his car and was out on his farm or whatever and he looked like dirt you know kind of thing and you approaching and talking to them as a human being and then you find out later he's getting his wife a gift and he's married it right <laughs> and he walks through the door and you're just kind of going because it's genuine genuinely a human so when i go into things mm -hmm. i look at it as I am creating jobs, mm -hmm. if I can make revenue work, right? I'm creating other jobs, but I am also solving needs in the entire global community to help them either increase capacity, 
decrease outgo, whatever it is that we're doing in the formula of what we're selling. And that goes right back to schooling your children. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Just that love and that respect for everybody around you. Yeah, in fact, something that you just said, you know, I, I usually tell it to my sales, uh, you know, representatives and sales managers that you are not selling, you are not creating revenue, you are creating jobs, right? Yeah. Uh, especially, this is especially true for our business model, right? <laughs> so hearing it from you was really fantastic. Um, <laughs> I love that, Neelish. That is so amazing. Now, um, you said, you know, selling is human, let's say, right? So, you know, me and Crispino were discussing before this podcast that, you know, we should definitely uh, ask you uh, that are human, like are salespeople born or can anyone be trained to become a, a salesperson? Uh, let's say a top salesperson. Are they born? Are, like, you know, is it just a trade? The skills, yeah. yeah. So I am always of the, I am always of the opinion that people are born to change. Mm -hmm. We, we re evolve into what our best selves will be. We do not have things sometimes outward outer, um, influences can cause that, but I don't believe that we are placed on this earth simply to, we are what we are. If that was the case, then we would all accept that mass murderers are okay, right? So I know you guys are gonna go, well, that's really weird, right? That's an extreme. That is an extreme, okay. right? But I believe things can be learned. So I'll give you an example. Um, and I actually mentioned this uh, a bit on even LinkedIn um, the other day. So everybody has an opportunity to change if they take the chance and do the effort for the change. So I had a vocal student. You guys probably didn't know this, but I sang opera for like 18 years and I coached it for 10. And as I was coaching um, a high school student in the United States, um, that's, that's that kind of 14 to 18 year old range, right? So um, that high school student, a high school student came to me and she wanted to learn to sing. And she was the closest to what I would call tone deaf. And I don't believe there are very many truly tone deaf people out there. Now, if that doesn't translate to the globe, that just means you can't sing because you can't hear the pitch. You're all like, you can't match it. So we all end up in my mind, we all end up somewhat sounding like our parents. Somehow we, we, it, with our ear, we listen and we internalize that because we can't see our vocal cords. And somehow we, we create these sounds and we sound like our parents, whether we like it or not, we get older and go crud. I sound like my mom or my dad, right? <laughs> I, sometimes that's the case. And so she came in and she could not match a pitch. I want to, I want to sing. And I almost turned her away and she said, I promise I will do the work necessary to make that happen. And I said, this is going to be painful. 
It's going to be painful for you. And, and she was like, I want it so bad. Every week she would come in and I would say, just take one note a week on your keyboard, hit it over and over again and listen and just say, Ooh, to that pitch until you cannot hear the difference between the two. Okay. Right. So she would hit that over and over again. One pitch. Can you imagine never singing a song? Never do. She would hit it over, over and over again. And then she did. Yeah. And she'd come in that week and she could match middle C. Then she could match a D. Then she could actually go from one note to the next note and she could match them. And as we retrained her over six months to hear again, she was able to go out and win solo and ensemble, which was the top award at the high schools in the wow. area. Um, so I say that because yes, we, we, maybe I'm not going to become the star basketball player, right? But in, when we talk about sales and is it born or not born? And we say to sell is human. When we teach children, when we, when we, um, sell up, to our superior or sell down to our, um, our reports, whether we are navigating, um, working through home plans or whatever we're doing in our life. And we're talking to other humans. We can learn to do that at a level that is solving a need and a problem. Hmm. And by definition, selling, is solving a need and a problem, at least my definition. If I made that up on the spot, you know, that's great. Um, anybody who is not solving a need and a problem should not be in sales. So if you're just there to get a paycheck, which is also nice. Yes, everybody's motivated by the paycheck, right? And those hunters are definitely motivated by the paycheck. We get that. But eventually they lose steam if they're not also motivated by the passion that actually they are selling, mm. right? solving that need and that want. And if you cannot find that passion, then you will wash out. Yeah. So, uh, does it have to do anything with introversion or extroversion or, or, you know, it doesn't matter. Again, um, it's interesting. I, I'm an EMTJ in Meyer Briggs, and apparently we are sometimes not loved and sometimes we're loved. But anyways, on the on the Myers Briggs scale, um, scale, right? But if you look at Gallup, and Gallup is well known, and, and um, I can't remember what the book's name is. It's really about tapping into that passion of what you're good at and your skill set. So, um, whether you're doing Strength Finder, whether you're doing DISC, whether you're doing all these different tests or whatever, mm -hmm. um, leveraging who you are really is what comes across very authentic and genuine when you're trying to help people with a need or a want. Mm -hmm. So, if you're an introvert, I basically an introvert just gets kind of who I'm so exhausted by acting like an extrovert. Right. I mean, if you think about that, I'm so exhausted for doing that. Um, and when I would get off the stage for uh, like opera, I'd be exhausted from doing that. But 
does that mean I'm introverted or extroverted? So then we, then we kind of go back to sales and say, okay, I am typically known as an extrovert, but inside sometimes I feel like the nerves, right? Um, and a lot of times too, it depends on what sales role you're stepping into. An SDR who has to constantly call over and over again and get told no and no and no and no, um, they have to be able to, to take that, right? Um, and so if you're okay talking with intimate groups of people as an introvert, then you're okay as a salesman, mm -hmm. right? And in fact, usually you respect other people's time a lot better with yeah. it. But again, that's the world according to Valerie and all those, you know, there's probably an introvert out there that's going, <clears throat> No, I couldn't do sales. So sales, as far as the profession itself goes, it's not for everybody. We know that one in eight people should be in sales. That's just a statistic. Okay. And we know that top four from Gallup, the top 4% of sales sells the GDP basically in the United okay. States. Okay. So there are, it does, it does take honing your skills. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's also, I love to pull out people. There's, uh, um, Michelle Tillis Lederman who wrote the connector's advantage. And she is, she says by virtue, she's an introvert, but if you see her on a Ted talk, she doesn't look like she's an introvert mm. introvert. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, <laughs> Anyways, I'm sure there's some psych psychiatrists out there and psychologists out that are going to tell me, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. But in my day, I've seen some very well introverted people do a great job. Do a great so. job. Okay. Okay. Uh, a related yeah. question to that. Sorry, Crispino, I'm asking this question. No, <laughs> go for it. So, um, so this could be, this could sound very general, but are there any specific traits that you look for in while building a sales team or, you know, while hiring sales people. Grit. Yes. I look for grit mm. and people will say, oh my goodness, you know, that's not really, yes, it is a trait, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're being told no, a lot of times people, they, um, like even on LinkedIn, if you put down that you're an account executive or a salesperson, they're, nobody will connect with them, right? I mean, it, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty difficult, but um, those that seem to have that grit and tenacity to kind of pivot and change and be okay with it. And I, I say, be okay with it. If you go home and you wear your emotions on your sleeve every night, sales will eat you alive because people aren't always nice. Yeah. You know, they just aren't. Yeah. And you've got to learn to uh, take the good and the bad. Some people yeah. aren't going to like you. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, know that's that's it that's very interesting because um in one of these surveys we also learned that grit is also the most important trait of an entrepreneur of of a successful yes. entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's so interesting that you know at Wishup we have seen this that most of our successful salespeople have been ex entrepreneurs. <laughs> They are because they are very similar traits, right? I yeah. have done two, I have owned two, three startups. Yeah. Um, 
and you have to be told no over and over again there. Um, I think it's, is it Robert Kiyosaki? I'm trying to remember who wrote rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, and he yeah, tells Robert, the author to go, yeah, take, it's Robert, yeah. Yeah, um, to go take a sales course. And the author went, no, no. Every entrepreneur probably has that desire. Usually what happens is they have a desire to fill a need or a gap, mm -hmm. right? There's something wrong and I think I can fill this, but then they also have the grit to go through the ups and downs of that product. Now, not all entrepreneurs make it. We know that in yeah. fact, hardly any do make it, you know, and most of them, 84% of them are going to, um, fail due to cash flow issues, you know? So the other thing when you say grit in their similarities is they've got to be able to, a lot of those salesmen that especially commission-based salesmen, they've got to weather the storm of paychecks coming in and paychecks not going out. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and I'm sorry, and the other ones not going out, but still hit payroll or not hit payroll or, um, they got to pay their bills too. At some point they got to, they got to take the stress. And I was interviewing, um, one of them on my podcast on the revenue maze. And he was talking, I always give him just one bullet point. What's one thing you can tell him to get out of the revenue maze, you know, and he talked about planting seeds. Seeds take time. And a lot of people don't want to wait, you know, so you also have to have that grit to wait, yeah. right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, don't quit. Don't give up too quick. That's true. You know, so I wanted to <laughs> ask you that what is the difference between us, a, a good sales representative, like a closer and a person who manages these sales closers? What is the difference between, you know, these two people? Well, that boils down to the org chart for revenue, right? Mm -hmm. In an org chart for revenue, you're going to have marketing team members. You're going to have potentially if you're business to business, you're going to have those sales team, well, business to consumer, you can have sales teams too. I deal mostly with business to business. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and then you're going to have service, your customer success managers, those guys. And then you're going to also have product, new product, whatever, some of those launch because they all touch on revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So sales QBs, QB is in the United States, our football versus soccer. We call it soccer versus football in, in Europe and stuff like that, right? Our football, we always have a quarterback QB. Um, so when we talk about uh, even the difference between chief revenue officers and, and VPs of sales, that's one thing that Revenue Northstar tries to point out. Okay. A sales manager is managing, managing a team of sales people, right? Whatever that is, right? Um, and they are the leader of that, of the producers, which are the actual sales team members, right? And they manage what is existing happening and making sure they coach those sales team members one-on-one -on -one, weekly, do those weekly one-on-ones, all of those things. Um, and difference in traits of these two type of people. Oh, the traits. I'm yes. sorry. I thought you were asking about the roles. Ah, sorry. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So let's go to traits. Let's talk about um, a lot of times we want to promote your top salesman. Yeah. Right. And a top salesman wants to be out talking to people, hmm. solving challenges and needs, mm -hmm. and wants to hyper focus on those challenges and needs to get a product across the finish line. Mm -hmm. So there's a miss there's kind of you'll see on LinkedIn where people will say we want that that producer manager you know the guy who goes and sells who's your entrepreneur right at first he goes and he sells but he can't scale mm -hmm. because he's the only guy who can sell it right and then he can't tell another person how to sell it because he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> meaning he doesn't know why how he sells right yeah. he goes in and he's like I don't know, maybe I call 10 people a day, maybe I call 20 yeah. people a day, maybe. And um, and so somebody who's managing doesn't always, is really a lot of times not a good salesman, but they're good at coaching people up, good at getting others to go out and do what is needed to be done. And when you actually have a sales manager also be a producer, they become adversarial with their own team. Cause I've had to be that role before. Okay. And I ended up giving up some of the top sales just to mediocre salesmen on purpose. So it didn't seem like I was stealing leads or doing what. So you end up with this weird kind of, kind of, I, I don't know what to do. And so can a salesman be a great sales manager? Yes. Hmm. We've had that happen. Um, but not always. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to place a barrier, maybe between the founder owner, um, to coach that sales team, hold them accountable, make sure they're hitting their numbers, know when someone should be promoted to something else, change lines of businesses. So it allows those sales managers to think more tactically versus from like a gut of, I got to close 20 of this today, you know, and I've got to hit 30, 30 people by the end of this week, it allows them to become that neutral ground kind of, mm -hmm. sort of speak. So the traits, there may be some similar traits. You can have some really good managers that really have never even sold a day in their life, but they're great at managing people. Managing people. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Mm. Got it. Yeah. I have a, I have some questions on the org structure, but Crispino, I think you have some questions. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your I questions are the wrong better, Nilesh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like this direction for the podcast better, actually. Okay. Nilesh's questions are much better okay, than mine. So <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I'll fire one quick yeah. one before you, Nilesh. So, Valerie, you work closely with small businesses to help them improve their sales, right? So, could you tell us about some challenges that these small business owners face when establishing a sales team? Well, we've kind of touched on some of them. Um, a lot of them have been that entrepreneur or that founder owner that yeah. is in the weeds. And for some reason, his product resonated when he started talking to people, but now he can't wear the owner hat. He can't hire mm -hmm. his brother, Bob, to all of a sudden be the sales manager, which is one of the big mistakes. It's like, hey, 
you can just manage a sales team, which they're actually very difficult to manage, honestly. <laughs> and so I, it's where sometimes like in operations, you can just count how many widgets and it's gotta be this many widgets and this kind of thing in operations, right? Um, yeah. It's like having, um, everybody has their own personality and you have to be able to figure out how to coach them, right? And so one of the biggest challenges that those small businesses are having is the scale or the stale. So their product became stale and they didn't know it because they didn't have the bandwidth to keep doing surveying, keep doing all the things necessary to keep the product ahead mm -hmm. of the competitor because there's always a competitor, even if it's a no decision. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when you're, the jack of, we call it in the United States, jack of all trades. When you're doing everything you do, you might be, somebody might even think you're doing everything very well, hmm. but not well enough to beat out the competition, yeah. right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so they've got to be able to scale or they're going to go stale. Yeah. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. and one of the problems that they, that we run into with that is they then don't know how to repeat themselves or clone themselves. When I, yeah. when I was saying earlier, there, there's that whole, well, I was doing okay selling this. How come nobody will listen to this person? Or do I go mm. then coming to like a chief revenue officer? Do I do a channel strategy? Do I sell direct? Do I Am I just an e Do I do e-commerce? Do I just throw everything out on the mm -hmm. web and catch things coming in? What do I do in, in this situation? And then what, at what year? So what happens is when I go in, I go in and I look, and this is kind of differences in the org chart. I look at, um, where a VP of sales will strategically be talking about the sales team, right? Um, and what that sales team needs to do. And it's, it's almost a tactical role on top of that, right? A CRO will kind of mm -hmm. look at the five-year plan. So we'll take Wiship. Wiship, where do you want to be in five years? And a lot of people will go, well, you can't forecast accurately out to five years. You're right, but we need to look at the TAM. We need to look at the SAM and the SUM. Yeah. We need to see if it's even achievable in the current market conditions. Mm -hmm. Then we can also say, well, in the market conditions, what do we think is going to start to happen? Whether there's legal, um, any of those kinds of things as part of that go to market strategy, really, mm -hmm. we verify it with, you know, CFOs and things like that. Then we start to work backwards five years. We say, okay, what kind of humans will be needed for year one? What kind of humans and technology, I should say technology too. When I say humans, what kind of resources do we resources. need for year one? Humans and tools, let's say, yeah. Humans and tools. Sure. Then for year two, what kind of resources do we need? And you kind of build your entire forecast of where are we going so mm -hmm. that now you can align your entire company. This is our vision. This is why we created this product. Now here is how we're going to market and everybody get on board, mm -hmm. you know, and start creating that, start yeah. moving that. Yeah. yeah, you're probably, you may not hit that revenue target five years out, right? Yeah. So then you repeat that every single year. You keep forecasting five years out in the fall. Mm 
so that you can adjust your org chart and know where you're going for the next year. And then your sales teams, if you have humans that are sales teams, you're not e-commerce or whatever, you can start to coach them in that direction. Everybody knows where they're going and they can come up with their own goals to get there as well. So then you have that buy-in as well. So that keeps the company from going stale, yeah. right? Because now we know, you know, the Alice in Wonderland kind of, it doesn't matter where you go. You know, if you don't know where you want to go, then that doesn't matter. And you'd be shocked and amazed how many small businesses and founder owners are like, well, it's just happening to me. It just kind of happened and I don't know what I need what? to do. So that gives them mm -hmm. sort of that direction that they yeah. need to have. Yeah. I can, I can so much relate to all of this, what you just said. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because some of these things I am going through, you know, right now and have gone through in last uh, three, four years. So one of these things which you mentioned a couple of times, which is the org, org chart, right? Uh, yes. I have one question related to that, which is, is there a particular way to structure a sales team or the organization uh, or does it vary from startup to startup? Does it vary from product to product? So what I'm talking about is, let's say for each account executive, there has to be uh, X number of uh, outbound executives. There have to be X number of uh, research and development, like, you know, a lead research team. So is there a particular structure to it in general? And I'm, I'm asking this as a very, you know, new innocent founder, because what, a new innocent founder. <laughs> what, what, I like whatever that we have achieved so far. I don't know how we have achieved it. We have just achieved it. But at this point of time, you know, I keep asking myself this question that is there, is there a specific way to do it or it changes from different company to different company. Well, I think one of the, you bring up a good point too. And one of the things that I think Wishup does really well is, um, first of all, there are strategies in place. We all know that, right? Mm -hmm. There's some that you can at least start with, with the foundation for, for the org chart. Um, what we do at Revenue North Star that is somewhat different from some of the other fractional part-time leadership companies out there is um, a lot of them pick a methodology and say, you know, I am, I'm an EOS integrator for operations. I am a great game of business. I'm a challenger. I'm a this, I'm a that. I have found, especially at early stage or resurrection, Rarely can you fit any one company in one methodology, first of all. Second of all, you've got to be able to remember, even with marketing, you A-B test. So with org charge, you're A-B testing as well. What you're trying to do is mitigate the risk mm -hmm. because we know it's expensive to turn humans, right? Or to hire and train new humans for new roles. So we don't want to do it wrong. So there are some best practices based on kind of sort of the model if you're a SaaS model or if you're manufacturing and producing a widget there are some some best practices that you can kind of clone a little bit for a starting point right 
but then you've got to be adaptable. You've got to then go into, Hey, this is not working. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put some metrics into play that we know it takes in an enterprise kind of sort of model it in probably most sales models. It's going to take a good three months just to ramp a person, a human up. Then it's going to take another six months before they're really starting to produce, right? So we need to ideally look at what do we need to do to mitigate that time frame, right? How long does that take? Because that's costing revenue, that's costing all sorts of things. And so sometimes you also have to kind of pitch hit. You're the founder. Sometimes you have to end up selling for a couple more until it starts getting going, until you've A-B tested it. If you're in, um, you know, if you're in a kind of enterprise or kind of a, some of the SaaS models, you could look at best practices to say, okay, you're going to probably <clears throat> need two SDRs to one closer. You're going to probably need, um, for 2 million in USD, you're going to probably need a CSR for every 2 million, you know? And then when I say CSR, I'm talking customer success versus saying customer service in manufacturing or whatever we want to call it these days, you know? Um, so those are some general rules. We have data to support it, but your own model is going to become your own baseline. And whoever's leading that will eventually say, this is where we're going to go because our baseline says this is true. Okay. And now we can build the, the model around it. And you also don't want to chase after shiny objects. I'm sure Neelish in your line of business, because you have a lot of virtual assistants that you outplace in accounting, mm -hmm. you outsource, you out, um, some of them are even now moving into the customer success roles. You've got some other areas. Should you go after a U.S. or an Indian market? And with what humans do you go after that? Because we know that we have statistics that say, we're most comfortable listening to people in our own dialect. Yes. That, that is even in the United States from United, you know, state to state. I'm more comfortable if I'm from California hearing someone in that English. Yes. For Cal although there is not one English in California, you know, I mean, it's, it's a melting pot. That was learning in the US actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, sometimes you as an entrepreneur would say, I don't want to chase shiny objects. I want to move forward with what is going to maximize profits so that I can recreate jobs. Because you just said that's your goal. I want to create jobs. Yes. If I'm creating jobs, that's in line with my vision. So we don't want to run after everything that a salesperson says, well, this guy has just got to have this widget or yeah. run after, um, LinkedIn. There's 5 million coaches on LinkedIn, which LinkedIn coach do you run to, you know, <laughs> and maybe your model shouldn't do a LinkedIn coach, or maybe they should, maybe you should be on TikTok and not on LinkedIn. Should you be, you know, so I, I can't really say there's one specific model and it's, and, and that was why when we created revenue North star, that we would literally say, we will augment to your environment, not ours. 
So I go in and I program to HubSpot if somebody's in HubSpot versus changing them to Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamic. It, I have to say it sucks, but it really does happen, right? And um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, makes sense. This is this was one of the good answers actually because now <laughs> I learned a lot actually because there's, there's always this conundrum conflict like you know how do you do it? Do you copy others or do you build your own? But now I understand you know how to how to do it. <laughs> yeah, because I gave you a non-answer. That's how you understood it was. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's this uh, discussion that. Uh, you know, I have with my co-founder, uh, which is about uh, a marketing-driven company versus a sales-driven company, right? Um, I don't know if it makes sense to you, but I'll I'll try to mm-hmm. explain it to you. Uh, so yeah. basically, a company that doesn't need sales and people can just check out from the website is a marketing-driven company is what we call it, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so my question to you is, uh, if that definition makes sense to you, can a sales driven company sometime become a like all of a sudden become a marketing driven company is that even possible right as per as per this definition and the second question is uh, in a sales driven company uh, let's say a company which has a sales team should the marketing team team report to the sales head or can it be a separate function these are two questions clubbed in one Well, let me start with the second question and move back to the first, because I think that they actually kind of stack on each other. First of all, um, that does come back to the difference between a chief revenue officer and a chief sales, well, manufacturing sales or a VP of sales. Um, It's like saying that you can have revenue without operations, right? So... um, at some point, it's a, it's basically, someone said the other day, a star. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like a star, the, the different points, and you're missing one point. But I call it a three-legged stool. You need revenue, you need operations, and you um, definitely need, you know, finance yeah. for dealing with some of that, right? And, um, and so, if in small business realm it is very difficult to not have all of them playing nice in the sandbox, one leading the other. Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of led to the rise of the chief revenue officer role because they are not just sales team. They are not just service. They are not just product. They are not just uh, marketing. Okay. Right. Um, Account-based marketing requires account-based selling. Right. I mean, and and vice versa. And we talked about that a little bit at the very beginning of the show where we were account. The good sellers were account based selling. They recognized that they were going to have to have many touch points. They were going to have to come up with an account plan versus a human plan. Right. I'm not selling in B2B. Now I'm talking B2B. I'm not selling to a human. I'm selling to businesses. Wishup is selling to businesses. Yes. So when you're selling to a business, um, how do you sell to a business with no marketing? Mm. How do you sell to a business without PR? Mm -hmm. How do you sell to a business 
without product? How do you sell to a business without operations? And one controlling another is, is, is ludicrous, right? They need to play together. They need to work together in creating an outcome. Now, whether you have a sales team or you're marketing led, there are some startups that start marketing led. And if you're going to be e-commerce the whole way and you're going to be in the commodity zone, and I call it the commodity zone because eventually you will be competing on price because there'll be others that enter the market. If you, mm -hmm. if it's not super complex, now let me qualify. AI is getting better, mm -hmm. right? So maybe we'll get X file-ish and eventually we will have no humans needing to do any kind of sales. But, um, you know, we thought that, um, actually, sorry, um, that actually sales, the death of the salesman was happening clear back in 2008. Computers came on board. We had iPhones. We could do all this amazing stuff. And now we have the digital deluge and that's what I call it on any, whenever anybody's doing that. Mm -hmm. And we have the issue with credibility. Mm -hmm. So what sells is credibility. So unless you're Coke or you are Nike, you are going to be up against brand recognition and credibility, right? And um, people buy from people they like, organizations they like, and they buy from people they trust. Yeah. Now we don't, we don't say trust because you can't tell somebody to trust you but you can become credible so that they trust your actions, right? Your outcomes, right? Um, that's a moving target to say, trust me, right? Because things happen and that might not work. So anytime you need credibility and convincing of credibility, it's very hard to sift through the noise of digital to get there. That's when I would say you need a sales team. If you do not, need sifting through the noise of digital, then you do not need a sales team, right? You're, you're the top dog. So at some point, even a founder will be a salesman if it needs, if it needs to be a spokesman person yeah. and a, and credibility. So marketing led sales led, I don't let sales teams ever rule the roost either. Hmm. They don't, yeah. they are usually out talking to, consumers mm -hmm. that are telling them mm -hmm. great intel and information mm -hmm. and we are all trying to create a good customer experience nowadays because that's how people will then buy so it has to be unified in small businesses if it isn't you've yeah. got nothing anyway <laughs> I mean, you're not gonna yeah so yeah yeah, I respect Does make sense. and I respect sales and I respect new product development and all those service guys and success guys that are answering the call. And yeah, yeah, they all need to be there. Makes sense. Um, there's this common observation uh, which we have seen um, is that sales representatives lose their steam in in about a year's time. Is that true? Is it a common observation? Um, is it, what is it? Is it burnout? Is it boredom? Have you, or is there a solution to it? That's a very, you're talking to Miss ADD that, from the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, I think 
when we talk about grit and we talk about tenacity, because some of the traits of good salespeople have that grit, right? I think that as company owners, we don't, we don't challenge our sales team members enough. So I'll use this as an example. And it's, again, it's Valerie Cobb talking. I'm sure there's some psychologist and psychiatrist out there that's going to say that's wrong. But I have seen that when people can tap into passion and be motivated, they can stay a place a long time. I have found that when a product goes stale, sales teams struggle with selling it and they will jump ship. But it's, it's a balance, right? Because is it the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart kind of question, right? And so when we start talking about do all people go in this category? Yes, there's high churn in especially the sales development role. And because we're having the great resignation and now I don't know, Wall Street, the quiet resignation or whatever they're calling it these days. Um, yeah, whatever that is, you know, whatever the term is, if you can tap into people's passion and have them love what they're doing and you are listening and you are trying to develop products that they can sell, you will probably keep them. Now, the ones that you don't keep that always blame price or product anyways, are probably your other seven that shouldn't have been in sales to begin with. <laughs> and they jump ship. Don't shoot me, don't shoot me for saying that. But anyway, um, but the other thing, I mean, it's, it's kind of like entrepreneurs. A lot of times they keep starting companies because they are driven by a passion for something that mm -hmm. happens, right? So as a sales manager, um, at some points, because there are times when we're managing sales team, um, give them a chance to be heard, be alive, you know, listen to them. They're people, they're humans yeah. getting knocked down on knocking on doors and trying to grow your company and try to encourage. And I, I give that advice to myself because sometimes I get very numbers driven and I get very focused and it's like, Okay. Yeah. You didn't hear, Oh wait, you're a human. Let me talk to you nicely today because I am a human too. And I want to be talked to nicely. Right. And, um, so yeah, churn is there for me. Um, you're always planning for churn as a company, just because people have children, they move, they, um, their personalities, I wouldn't say personalities change over time, but their goals change over time, depending on if they have children. I mean, I've seen that my daughters, my, my oldest is 30 and she was telling me, actually she'll be 31. And she was like, you know, if, if you talk to her today and talk to her when she was 16, I was her worst mortal enemy tonight <laughs> when she was 16. And she just left for the weekend and uh, visiting and she's like, you're my best friend. And I'm like, so we, our goals change, our yeah. things around us change too. Mm. So, you know, and then sometimes they churn because companies go out of business. I said 84% of them fail due to cash flow. Cash flows. Yeah, that is true. So. One is how do you like working with our virtual assistants and, <laughs> and um, how can sales team use virtual assistants or virtual generalists to enhance their output? 
So this is really um, an interesting topic. I was actually having that conversation with my husband last night that um, when you're starting up a business, you need collective what you need is a knowledge dump extremely quick, yes. right? And um, so people who have been in a role for a long time, you may not need the equivalent full-time role yet because you don't have enough band, you don't have enough revenue coming in. You, you're not there yet. It, it's a, a way to help you scale. And so I have used WishUp to hire a virtual my my executive assistant i have used her to bounce ideas off of mm -hmm. um, because there's it's a small company revenue north star is never going to be a massive coca-cola right we're you know it, we're in our lane um and so I bounce ideas. She manages my calendar because when I'm fractional, I have like eight or nine calendars because I also work as an employee at 1099 for multiple companies, just like your EAs do, right? So, um, so I, she told me to step away from my calendar. So I actually go into LinkedIn and if somebody says, can I have your calendar or whatever? I'm like, you need to talk to my EA because she has told me I'm going to ruin it if I don't, and I don't want to mess up. So here you go. And, um, also, um, my EA has helped me rebrand. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, done different logos and different things for rebranding. And, um, I have my own podcast and she helps me summarize and get blog posts together mm -hmm. for putting on the website and different things like that. Um, I also have, uh, a sales admin at, from Wishup, um, for actually two different companies mm -hmm. that he works for me at two different companies. And, um, he helps me program HubSpot. He also understands my lucid charts and my million other processes. Mm -hmm. And so instead of retraining each individual human for each company, uh, for starting up, I will drag them along with me to the next yeah. company. Yeah. Um, so it's an expansion of my capacity, yeah. um, at a very economical at a high return on investment, really. I don't want to say economical, but on a high return on investment. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so, that's, that's what our aim was. So, and how can other sales teams leverage sales admin, as you said, let's say, our virtual assistants as sales admins? Well, some of these small businesses, again, cannot afford a sales manager. So even if I'm going in and being a fractional CRO or placing one of my fractional CROs in a company, mm -hmm. um, they can't afford that and a sales admin and I mean, sorry, a sales manager and a VP of sales and a marketing coordinator and all of those things. So what we can do to help them scale so that they can get to the point of affording that mm -hmm is we can set up a sales admin to even run a sales huddle. Those are things they can do and not yeah. be the sales manager. They can run the sales huddle. They can run the statistics. They can, they can go in and set up proposals. They can go and do some research mm -hmm. for those proposals. And they do mm -hmm. right now. I have one of them researching go to market 
um, Tam Sam Sum, what's the numbers so that we can set up what the five-year plan should be and they can go and help those sales team. And so if you, if you only have resources for an account executive, uh, the closer, or maybe you only have for the SDR, then you can help create the proposal for the founder who is then your closer at that point, if it's very small. And, um, and that's kind of what's happening with one of the companies that I is downstream from me is I'm having that salesman admin help set up those leading and lagging indicators in HubSpot because they use HubSpot right now and doing research on the go-to-market strategy for the five-year plan. So, and that is very reasonable. I got some ideas to use our own virtual assistants as, as sales admin for our own processes so thank you for that <laughs> yeah yeah no it's great and they and a lot of them have that deep knowledge of it yeah. and it's it, they just haven't had some of that opportunity yet so it's giving them exposure to more opportunity i can groom and eventually with Wishup even, I can groom and say, I really want this person to eventually be an account exec and Wishup will help me um, train them to become an account exec. And that takes also off training, which is unique about your model. Usually they just provide um, an out and they don't want, they want their employees to stay in that lane. If yeah. you're this, you're this. But you guys provide opportunity for them to continue to scale with these small businesses. Yes. And that that is that's huge because you don't want to lose that and then just retrain somebody to backfill yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We have so many instances where someone joined in as a virtual assistant and then took over a podcast show or took over into accounting and yeah. you know, just like Yeah. Yeah. So that is true. Yeah. yeah. You know, Crispino, I have hijacked your podcast and, you know, asked so many <laughs> questions. No, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I, I think this was a much more interesting session and I got to learn a lot as well yeah. through through the session and the questions that you asked. So, yeah, yeah. but I, uh, I think these were the questions I had. But I mean, if you have any questions. I think Nilesh used it as a personal one-on-one -on -one training session as well for himself. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with you but yeah this was a very very helpful session for me actually <laughs> okay awesome so valerie uh before before we let you go could you tell us a bit about your podcast the revenue maze what it's about and where can uh, our viewers and listeners find it as well yeah the revenue maze it's it's really mostly it's primarily a linkedin kind of podcast and it my my mission and vision whichever you know we want to call it these days depending on your methodology is um that businesses change lives faster than government can and because of that um i seek out ceos founders owners of small businesses usually um and ask them to give best practices on how they can help other business founder owners get out of the revenue maze and revenue maze is a very broad topic. Anything we've already talked about, it, it touches on so many things mm. and, um, yeah. and the entire show is to showcase how they're doing this and how that's affecting 
the world, the industry, or that they're in, or, or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. um, and yes, it gives exposure to Revenue North Star, and obviously those things, and educates people somewhat on on fractional on the fractional world for sure, right? And not everybody mm-hmm. needs a fractional. Sometimes they need that full time equivalent, right? But um, mm-hmm. anyways, for me, I'm just having a blast doing it. Um, I learn of amazing things about everybody who ends up on that show. I definitely, if they go on my show, I definitely connect them with others that can help them um, because I feel like at least I'm giving back with them spending their time. I at least try to help connect them with anybody um, on there. And then when we release, I always go in and personally comment. I don't automate it. I personally comment and mm-hmm. um, call people in that could potentially help that that person. So, you know, I'm not a mm-hmm. TED talk or anything like that, but I'm doing it one person at a time and um, it's getting good exposure. We're really enjoying it and it's fun. It's amazing. If I have teenage, I don't have teenage kids. I just lied. I have 30 year old and 26 year old and they listened to it for the first time a couple of weeks ago and they're like, this one's fun. Yeah. I actually was listening to this. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I'm so boring. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. After this uh, podcast, I think uh, all our viewers, there are a lot of uh, viewers from India who are entrepreneurs and who sell uh, SaaS products in the US. Uh, And it's a big thing going on right now. And I think it's a big theme uh, for the next decade. So I think all these entrepreneurs will definitely reach out to you. We we hope they reach out to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll include your link in the description as well and the podcast as well. So if anybody wants to listen to the Revenue Maze and contact Valerie, can just reach out to yeah. me directly. Yeah, you definitely can. Or you can go to revenuenorthstar.com. Yeah. That's our website mm. and LinkedIn yeah. page as well. So both of them. Yeah. So In fact, we had a lot of SaaS customers uh, when we were operating in the India market. So, you know, I think they'll love to hear this and, you know, your podcast. So, yeah. (laughs) Sounds good, you guys. Well, thanks for having me on the show. This was fun. Thanks so much for coming along, Valerie. It was amazing having you. And thank you for your time. I think we took a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the listeners' time. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great.